Support for WIPR's podcasts comes from Brightview Senior Living. Since 1999, Brightview has proudly served Greater Baltimore with vibrant, independent living, assisted living, memory care, and enhanced care. Find a community near you at brightviewseniorliving.com. We have an opportunity for you to go to U.S. And I'm like, huh? Where? He goes, you remember Santa Barbara we watch every night at 7? I'm like, yeah, Santa Barbara, yes. So she packed my bag with spices and a set of knives, six knives. She thought that was so normal <laughs> to carry to the U.S. immigration. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Stoop Storytelling Series podcast. I'm Laura Wexler. And I'm Jessica Hinken. And this week on the podcast, Adolescents Abroad, two stories from people who came to the United States as teenager. Teenagers, sorry, plural. This first storyteller is, um, boy, such an amazing, resilient character. Um, We've said that several times about recent storytellers. It's all true. His name is Taras Dyakov, and he is uh, going to share his story of his emigration from the Ukraine. Take a listen. Good evening, everybody. I'm going to take you a little further um, than North Carolina. It's on another side of the globe. Um, it's West Ukraine, little city called Stray. And um, my story with America started very simple. Uh, my dad came home and he said to me, Taras, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, okay. He must have found out about the bicycle that I broke. <laughs> He's like, no, come here, sit down, we need to talk, I have a question for you. And I go, what is the question? He goes, uh, we have an opportunity for you to go to U.S. And I'm like, huh? Where? He goes, you remember Santa Barbara we watch every night at 7? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, Santa Barbara, yes. <laughs> Big houses, pool, parties. That's where I want to go. And he goes, you have an opportunity to go there to learn English. And I'm like, wow. Okay. He goes, all you have to do is make up your mind by the morning and let me know. And I missed the part where I forgot to tell you, I'm a 14-year-old boy. Um, and he's talking to me like, like right now. Um, he still talks to me as 14-year-old. But uh, he goes, make up your mind in the morning time, 9 a.m., let me know. And then we'll figure it out. We're going to go and get your visa. But it's your decision. However you make that decision up, it's all on you. You go, and then we figure things out. So that was 1998, and that Friday night to Saturday morning was the longest time I ever had. I was not sleeping. I was thinking. I thought about Santa Barbara. I thought about the convertibles. I thought about pools. I thought about everything except, you know, how am I going to go there? Ah, But I want to go and make a dream happen. So I wake up, and I go to my dad at the breakfast table. You know what? I'm ready. I'm going. He goes, you sure? I said, 100%. I'm sure. He goes, you don't speak English. I'm like, I don't know. We'll figure that part out later. Uh, Two weeks later, we go to Kiev. I get my visa. Here I go. I'm flying to JFK, famous JFK. Good thing on the plane, there's nowhere to go, so there's no way back. You just have to land. (laughs) They don't have a stop signal on the plane, so... And the stewardess spoke Ukrainian. I was like, that must be, you know, very easy. We get to JFK. She speaks with me. She helps me. 
Um, and again, my dream is completely different. What I'm thinking, we're landing, we go to, and then this guy, CBP guy, my size, he goes, where are you going? I'm like, what, what, what did I do? He goes, where are you coming? Where are you going? And I'm like, uh, Amsterdam. And the guy goes, oh my God, wrong plane. Uh, it's Holland. And I'm like, no, 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 hold on, please, translate, please, you know, get me a translator, because I'm not flying again, I need somebody to translate. So they get a translator, and he looks at me, he's like, so where are you going here? And I'm like, New York, Amsterdam. And they're like, okay, they pick up this big book, and they go through the cities, and they found the city. Oh, Amsterdam, 12.010, yeah, yeah, we have the city. No, no, not Holland, no, he's going with us. And again, I'm 14, so I don't speak English. This translator says, you're good to go. Here's your visa. Boom, you go. So my dream started. Very nice. <laughs> no big houses, no pools, nothing. No English. I figured out that this is a dream come true. But there was no way back because I made that decision by myself. So here we go. Come to Amsterdam. Come adapting and... Uh, you know, the hardest thing is, most people don't realize we have dreams, but we don't have uh, courage to take the dreams. But I didn't, I wasn't going to lose that dream. So um, every single night for the past 90 days from when I moved to America, when I went to high school and I realized I have no idea what they're talking to me. Why are they looking at me? Some people say, what's up? Some people say, what's down? I, like, like, hello? Like, why is it what's up? You know, and, but... <laughs> I would come home and I would just go to bed and cry. For 90 days, I remember, cry. And you know what? It's 1998. Uh, international calling wasn't that expensive or wasn't that cheap. It's a $3 phone call, so I could only speak with my dad, mom, and my sister once a week. So whenever I talked to them, I would be like, Dad, please, please, come. You know, it's very hard for me. Or take me back. And he's like, no, you made that decision. You take that decision. It's all on you. <laughs> so, so come 90 days, God bless. He heard me, and he came over, so it was a little easier. But, you know, this, uh, it's not... The dreams come true when you really, really follow it. So every single day you have to live in power of now. And I can speak of it now, but back then I just trusted the universe. You know, whatever I'm doing, I'm doing for the right cause. Because I really love the um, opportunity land, as you say now. This is a country where you could make yourself. So come again, 1998 to 2008, I went to high school. I learned some language, which is English, as you know. <laughs> My ESL teacher, God bless her, Miss Olson, she would go on the desk and jump, and I'll be looking at her like, huh, why are you doing this during the class? And she'd just get up and run and say, run. And I'm still like looking, I'm like, in Ukraine, if you get up in the middle of the class, you get hit by the stick. <laughs> Here in America, everybody's running, jumping, it's like, wow, okay, my dreams do come true, but I didn't know what she was telling me, and she would be like, jump. I'm like, okay. Run! And she would run. And now I understand very well that, you know, if it wasn't for her, if it wasn't for Mr. Murdoch, which was the principal of that high school, um, it would be a different lifestyle because it was, you know, every single day was very, very hard to adapt, especially when you're 14, when all your, when your classmates are there, you're just building uh, relationship with people. 
But, you know, then come another part in the United States, which is called USCIS, a phenomenal, phenomenal agency. Uh, you know, you, you would think, oh, I'm going to get a green card today. You go apply for one. Wait day, wait a year, wait two, wait three, wait four, wait five, six, seven. So come 2008, you get a green card. Here you go. You're 2008, 10 years down the road, you got a green card. All these 10 years, you know, now it seems like it's a one day. But back then it was like, why does it take so long? You talk to a grandfather and he's like, why are you not visiting me? And I'm like, Grandpa, I can't come. And he's like, no, you don't want to come? What did I do? I gave you 50 bucks when you left Ukraine. What did I do? You don't have to give it back. <laughs> I couldn't tell him on the phone, hey, you know, the immigration, it's a process. It takes this much time and this process. And if you want to continue living in America, you have to continue really going with the flow. And... Um, the other option was to just leave the country, but that's not what I'm all about. So, uh, 2008, um, I moved to Maryland, actually, from upstate New York to Maryland in 2005. In 2007, I met my wife. Um, I'm not going to tell you where she's from, because uh, nowadays Ukraine is at war with this country. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so when people say, how do you have dinners? I say, uh, it's, it's America. We're all American citizens, so it's a phenomenal country. But um, 2008, very nice. I flew back to Ukraine. I explained to my grandfather why I didn't show up for 10 years. And he's like, really? 10 years? You could have gotten it here in a year. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Um, so another 10 years, I waited for to get my citizenship. Uh, but all I want to say, uh, as far as the story goes, if people have a dream, they have to follow this dream. Um, they really have to go day by day, step by step. Um, universe has this law of attraction. We meet people. I don't know how I got here today, so I'm here talking to you guys. <laughs> there must be a reason. Um, you know, being Ukrainian and what's going on in Ukraine today, we, you know, I'm grateful for United States and for every single United States citizen that helps Ukraine, and I know why I'm here. I opened, a, I found a company called TBES Services. We are a staffing agency also. We have a TBES Chance where we help anybody who wants to stay in the United States, who wants to have an opportunity, who wants to work. We connect uh, em employers with talents. We connect people with attorneys. We help people to come here. The one thing that this country has and it has the best is... Uh, it's land of opportunity. All you have to do is just take it, work 24-7, and an extra hour to sleep. And that's it. Thank you, guys. I just find this whole premise of this story that he was given 12 hours to decide as a 14-year-old boy whether he was coming to the United States or not just so crazy. Yeah. Um, well, I think because we have teenage boys and just like giving them that amount of autonomy. Yeah. <laughs> the 14-year-old is, you know, at least my 14-year-old, I can barely, you know, trust him to take out the trash, let alone determine what country. Take himself to America. <laughs> yeah. uh, I also love that his only frame of reference was Santa Barbara. Santa oh, my Barbara. gosh. And then he, that's what he thought he was coming to. <gasps> Oops. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Um, all right. We'll be back with another story in just a moment. Support for WYPR's podcasts comes from Catholic Charities. Celebrating its centennial in 2023, 
Catholic Charities is the largest private provider of social services in Maryland. Learn more about this movement to change lives at cc-md.org. This next story is by Aisha Alfadhala. It's a great story about an adventure uh, coming to the United States as a young woman and making her way and ultimately finding other folks who've come to this country from faraway places and building a community here. Take a listen. So I'm from Kuwait. It's a small Middle Eastern country where there are only two seasons, summer and winter. Okay, that sounds really close. (laughs) Summer and winter. I grew up in an intergenerational house where uh, we always had long tables with my grandparents and uncles and cousins. So the day before I moved to America, my mom was convinced that she wanted me to carry home. So she packed my bag with spices and a set of knives, six knives. She thought that was so normal <laughs> to carry to the U.S. immigration. And, <laughs> and for sure, my bag was confiscated as I get, <laughs> you know, Middle Eastern, six knives. It wasn't going well. <laughs> and I went to, I arrived to Milwaukee, Wisconsin in January. Never seen snow before. I really thought I was going to Michigan because... I heard of Michigan, I saw the Lake of Michigan, but it was Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, So a place that I never heard about before, with no spices and no set of knives. (laughs) And at that point, my English was emerging. I could understand things literally, but not conceptually. Like I could, there's many American cultural things I did not understand. I did not understand why somebody would say, how are you, but keep walking. (laughs) why like why dorms don't have kitchens why like lunch rush hours are not um communal and I realized it was the first time where I had I've eaten by myself never had that before um my my language was the expression of my experience I had I had I had word religion. I had I had the word religion, but not spirituality. I had a, like the word food, but not aroma. So after I did, I had the I had the language to function, but not necessarily to belong. So after a while, I but there's many things I was excited about. I did not know that you could double major, so I decided to learn Spanish. <laughs> I did not know what bagels or pop tarts are. <laughs> So it was really exciting times. But after that, I went to graduate school in Portland, Oregon. And when I was looking for jobs, um, I found a job in Baltimore, and that's what brought me here. I knew how it was difficult for me to create connections when I first came. So I started volunteering with IRC, the International Rescue Commission, in their mentorship program, where they match you with a newly, newly arrived family. And that's where I met Zaid, is a woman from Eritrea. We would meet every week. She has three beautiful children. We'll meet every week to navigate how to use the bus, um, how to fill up forms, how to, how to get the mail. And she spoke Tigrinya and I spoke Arabic and English, but we could not really communicate. But what, I, what, what resonated with me that we'll meet every week and we will invite all the neighbors and everybody spoke different language and the table reflected all the cultures of the neighbors from Yemen, from Iraq, from Syria. 
Um, and I learned from Zaid that food connects us beyond language. And then I met Iman, it's one of her neighbors, and Iman used to be a chef back in the Four Seasons in Damascus, Syria. But most importantly, she's a Syrian grandma. So she's, she has Tupperwares of food, and she would feed everybody from the Uber drivers to her doctor. <laughs> um, and and, and I, I, that reminded me of the Arabic saying that a small house can, feed, can host 100 people. And then I met Lillian, who is very, she's from Cameroon, and she's passionate about um, food, and she wanted to open a restaurant. Then I met Emily, who had worked at Doctor Without Borders and kind of had so many different ideas. So we all met one day at Highland Town Library just to see what can we, we all have similar interests. How can we create something from these interests? So we decided to host house dinners, and the first house dinner was at my house where we forced family and friends to pay $25 <laughs> to come to a dinner <laughs> at my house. And, um, and somehow they came. Then, then we did another, another uh, Cameroonian dinner at another friend's house and Eritrean dinner. And it kind of grew. Then we reached out to a restaurant called Hershey's Pizza. And if we can use their space for free for a day... And they said, surprisingly, yes. So we hosted um, a Syrian dinner for 75 people um, with Fairuz playing on the background and plates of food to share with, with, with the strangers that are in the dinner. And then other immigrant restaurants, such as Clavel and Cucina Luchador, start to reaching out. And we did collaborations. So we're, do, we're starting doing pop-ups. So then we were like, okay... How can we grow? Let's apply to the farmer's market this year. It's very competitive. We're not going to get in anyways. Then maybe next year we'll be more prepared. Because at that point, we all had full-time jobs. We didn't have a car. We didn't have a license, maybe, at that point. <laughs> uh, and, you know, we didn't have a kitchen, most importantly. So, but, but surprisingly, we got in. So we went, April comes around, and here we have to be prepared for the farmer's market. So we went to the director of the farmer's market and to kind of break up, telling her we cannot do it, really. Um, but she said, no, I read your application late at night. Late at night, I believe in what you do. And she found us a kitchen at the Lord Baltimore Hotel for free. I cannot, I'm so grateful for that moment. And I remember the first day, the first day we were in the U-Haul, we slept things out of my basement, uh, we move, we drive to the Lord Baltimore Hotel, go to the farmer's market, try to open the tent. I thought it was so easy to open a tent, you know, I went camping once, but <laughs> it took us 30 minutes <laughs> to open that tent. Um, there was a lot of hurdles in the beginnings, I wrote bowel instead of bowl and the... <laughs> On the sign, uh, and the quantities were off, and I was trying to force everybody at the farm, farmer's market to try the food. <laughs> that lasts us two to three years. <laughs> and then slowly people start asking us, do you do weddings? Do you do caterings? And we're like, I, I guess now we do. <laughs> um, in this year, 2020, 22, March 2022, we opened our restaurant. So after sharing kitchens for three, four years, we finally had our, our, our own spot. 
The word Mira comes from the Meraki, which means when you do something so passionately that you leave part of you in it. And that's what's Mira to me. It's the stories, the people that, that make the food, their stories, their culture, their, their, the essence of it that we want to transport and create that connection. What I think is fascinating for me is that, the, for example, English is not the dominant language in the kitchen. Everybody puts an effort to understand each, each other's culture and language uh, to create that connection that moves beyond food, that, beyond, that moves beyond language. Um, so relationships are not formed. They are built over time, over food, over conversations and the ups and downs. So I would encourage every one of you to... Ask somebody to go for a dinner that you don't know very well. Learn about their story. Share your own story. Look at us. We can barely talk in the beginning. But now after six years, we have a restaurant somehow together. <laughs> Thank you. Aisha mentions uh, Mira Collective, which is um, now the restaurant and mm-hmm. catering company. And I feel like everywhere since her, um, since she shared this story, everywhere I go for like that's catered, I, I'm eating Mira Collective food and it's so good. <laughs> it's, it's so good. Um, so that's such a pleasure. Thank you all for listening. Again, these stories were part of a show we did with Baltimore Museum of Art. Um, It was stories about migration in honor of their wonderful exhibit um, in which they had 12 artists uh, interpret the great migration here in the U.S. Visit BMA. They're wonderful people. It's free, and they always have beautiful work on display. Visit us at stoopstorytelling.com. You can learn about our upcoming events and listen to episodes from our many, many, many shows and podcasts. And thank you to Maureen Harvey for producing. We will be back soon with more stories from the Stoop. Mm-hmm.